Race matters. 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 so much for coming this is yeah the energy feels very beautiful and present thank you so 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 much for supporting this event and everything else that will unfold this afternoon um, I'd like to begin by acknowledging country we're gathered here on the sacred and stolen Wangal clan lands of the Gadigal nation this is a site of long tradition um, that has held stories and resistance and resilience that has taken place here and also where FBI radio broadcasts out of every day. Today especially I'd like to acknowledge the trailblazing brother boys and sister girls and queer ancestors who've been resisting kind of the colonization of gender and have carved out space for us to be here in this queer venue resisting and expanding the possibility of who we are. And I'd also like to bring in a practice that I actually learnt at an event here when I was very, very young. Um, and it's this idea of kind of calling in your own ancestors or thinking through what it is that you bring into this space, right? Um, we're watching a film from 30 years ago, so we're already kind of expanding the possibility of time as we're here. My name is Sharika Hellaludin. I am the producer of Race Matters. Um, and a lot of what I do, I feel like is about like kind of connecting people and ideas to find meaning and maybe transformation after that. And I feel like this event is such a nice manifestation of that. So thank you for connecting with us here and for like sharing in ideas with us. I, something that really strikes me is all these moments in between and I think this event is kind of a nice gesture of like what are the in-between moments like between the urgency of capitalist time when are moments where we can like I guess feel the revolution kind of in the most mundane and tender and precise and loving moments whether that's sharing a meal or like chatting in the bathroom or just being able to coexist together and be intentional about why we are doing that. And I think that's something that I really would like to take away as a thread from the film as well. We are interrupting this program to bring you a special message from the Women's Army. Which would you rather see come through the door? One lion, unified, or... 500 mics. All oppressed people have a right to violence. The
Okay, sure. Let's clap. Let's clap that. Um, all right, let's get into it. You are listening to, and you are here with uh, Race Matters, a show that I co-host. We're a program that holds space for conversations, diving deep into the ways we understand uh, and value uh, the the value and complexities of our racial identities. My name is Darren Lasagas. I'm also the head of programming and music at FBI Radio. It's a privilege to be holding a role like that, namely because by nature of independent and community radio, we're able to really push the limits and potentiality of radio as a format. Uh, maybe not to the extent that in the movie that you've just seen, we're not really plotting to take over the ABC by force um, anytime soon. Maybe Channel 9. We try and find small ways to resist um, that which is normalized around us, and we try and do that every day in very small ways. This right now in this room uh, and being recorded for Radio 2 is one of those ways, so thank you so much for sharing this with us, and I want to give you an applause for that. Claps. Born in Flames, a gorgeous experimental film directed by Lizzie Borden, released in 1983. In so many ways, this movie captures a moment in time. Yes, it's uh, an imagined reality. It's a a post-revolution and a multiplicity of active militant feminist groups. But as with any sci-fi utopia come dystopia work, it presents stylistically, symbolically, the reality that actually is there. When Honey says we are deconstructing and reconstructing, it sounds like she's inviting every audience who will ever watch this movie to take a step back and and see this movie through their current lens, which is what we're doing now. You know, it's a a basic question of do we or can we agree with this film today? Which parts do we bring forward into our present? Which parts need more questioning? And that's what we'll do today. This event is called Embers. Are they remnants of a fire or the start of one? With our special guest today, we'll touch on some central tenets of the film, radio, activism, solidarity, and the tensions of us coming together. Beyond that, we're just having a chat, honestly. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a movie, you know, watching experience, and part of that experience is not just the movie. It's about spending some time after the movie. You know, what's that after afterthought? What's that sitting in it with a little bit with our friends? Um, so, yeah, please sit back and let us meet our beautiful circle here. Um, I'll get you to briefly, I mean, as briefly as you can, introduce yourselves, and we'll start with Aaliyah J. Bradbury here. Hello, everyone. Um, So, Mayim. Um, My name is Aaliyah J. Bradbury, like you said. I am a Miriam Mir uh, Larakia woman, so I'm indigenous, uh, but I was raised here in Redfin, and I'm a filmmaker, a writer, just a general creative. Hi, I'm Prince, uh, also known as Amir. I, just to talk about my intersections, I'm um, Arab Assyrian, Um, I'm also white passing, um, which I feel is an important affirmation or something to acknowledge. I am an artist, I am a primary school teacher and also an educator and I'll probably use that interchangeably, um, teaching and education. Greetings everybody, Uh, my name is Queen G Kibone. That's how you know me. Um, I'm a hip hop artist. Um, also, I have a background in community radio and broadcast, and also as a trainer. I work here at the Red Rattler as a program manager when I'm not on stage ripping rhymes and you know sending out messages of fierce activism and taking down the system. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, as we can hear, we all have such different pr uh, experiences and practices and throughout the chat, we're going to hear how this comes together or digresses in different ways and meaningful ways. Let's open the first question to you all. We just watched Born in Flames 30 years after its release. What's something that is resonating with you right now? And Aaliyah, we'll start with you. Thank you for putting me in the firing line. Um, you know what's... I think this idea of intersectionality, I mean, Prince already brought it up, which thank you for bringing it up very quickly. Um, we're in a place where we're all kind of striving for this idea of unity, but we are all coming from different experiences, different worldviews, different cultures. You know, we don't all start off at the same place, but we all want to get to the same place, whatever that may be or whatever that may look like, which is essentially just equality or equity. So that's what really resonated with me first. But what do you guys think? I feel like there's so much that resonated with me, but just to perhaps talk about one thing that was quite powerful um, was the conversations that were had and perhaps how it moves outside of well, perhaps interrogates this kind of leftist ideology, um, which really resonated for me, um, that it's not about that leftist ideology, but it's about so many intersections coming together, um, listening, actively listening. Um, and also <clears throat> another thing that came up for me was also um, the self-defence aspect, which I would love to continue to talk about or touch on um, further in our conversations. Yeah, um, it's really great to be here. I think today's a beautiful gathering of everybody coming to watch this film together. And it's a good reminder of, you know, where we are in the discourse. Um, I think for me, a lot of the themes that came up are still happening. We're still having these conversations just with a different generation, um, which is, you know, quite... Um, you know, if it's, it's quite moving to see that, that, you know, there's, yeah, a lot of these issues and even though a lot of liberations happened and, you know, women's um, rights and movements has, you know, been a shift in different ways, um, there's still a lot of this going on. Um, but I think for me, one of the things that came up, Marrick, we'll pause while we have an aeroplane go over our head. <coughs> uh, how, do we get, how do we get together if we can't come together? You know, this thing of getting ourselves together first uh, making sure that we're ready and we're fit for the fight and then uh, gathering people um, and then coming together. So, you know, there was that scene where one of the sisters there was not down um, with this women's movement, with this, you know, women's army and stuff where, you know, the other sister was. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, I find relating a lot is, you know, sometimes we're with, we're, you know, in our groups or in our different parts of our lives and you know maybe not everyone's going to agree with us but it's not maybe everybody's job to be that fighter you know everyone takes their different um their different positions in society and for those who do choose to use their time and their energy to speak up and speak against um and what they have to endure and and go through after that because of that um is definitely something that is relatable that thing of you know you know everyone who was in that film that was st standing up against something wasn't somehow being some other way you know they were being put down but they didn't care you know you got to keep going so 
yeah, that was something that I found really moving. Mm. Yeah, um, and I guess that's a, uh, an idea that we'll bring forward into this chat, the idea of getting together and coming together. And, you know, there's a slight difference between those two terms, but what does it mean when they exist in unison? I guess, Prince, let's um, pull on that thread a little bit in terms of, of self-defense. Um, there is a line that, uh, you know, the elder who is um, playing a huge role in this movie says, the oppressed have a right to violence. It's like a right to piss. And you just need to find the right place and the right time in the context, and that is your right to exercise. How does that, how does that sit with you? Yeah, thanks for falling on the thread. Um, yeah, I feel as though in speaking from experience in regards to self-defense, I guess there's been a history of feeling quite shamed and quite guilty about any kind of moving into a space of self-defense, but feeling, feeling like... I personally have had no choice but to utilise those ways of protection. I was reading a, a book by Lama Rod Owens. I can imagine a lot of people may have read it or may have not. Um, but he speaks to, to, to give, give it some context, he's, he's a practising Buddhist, but he's also a, a queer black man, and he speaks about self-defence uh, in a way that is an act of love, um, an act of love for community, an uh, act of love for self. Um, but also when we, when we move into a space of self-defense is to do it in a way that we hold accountability for one another. So have those conversations in self-defense, about self-defense, talk about it, come together. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, not doing it alone, but also having that um, person to turn to um, having that kind of accountability that I mentioned earlier as well. Um, I'm all for self-defense. I think it's such an important way to practice love, um, but using it in a way that isn't violent for violence sake, but using it as a way as protection. Elia, did you have something to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from. I grew up, so, you know, like I said, I'm Indigenous and I grew up amongst different communities, especially regional and remote um, where my family's from in Darwin, so in the Northern Territory and in Arnhem Land. And we still do those kinds of things of like, you know, if if a cousin's maybe in a fight, you know, maybe you will jump in at all times, you know, you don't think twice. And I think there's something really kind of beautiful in that sometimes where, you know, this idea of like you can't back your own community, you know, you can't fight for them because it's it's seen as something very other or like um, it's kind of animalistic and that all kind of stems from very kind of racist and very um, sexist ideals of how a person should be because it's that idea of like I'm the intellectual other, I'm the superior person, but sometimes, you know, you have to fight for your life and you're allowed to fight for your life and I think that's the big difference. Yeah, that sense of permission I think is what's resonating uh, from the f from the film. Uh, I can feel us already extrapolating, um, you know, ideas and themes from a movie that existed or that came out 30 years ago into our present day now. I want to play with this idea that Honey gives us at the end of the film, deconstructing to reconstruct. What would you reconstruct or reimagine about this film if it was set now? And Queen, maybe I'll throw it to you first. With this film... Um I think it's set in a similar time to what we're going through now around inflation. Um, you know, I think we've got to remember that in all the different 
dysfunctions that are happening around us, all the different, um, you know, issues that we're having, the, you know, the injustices, the justices, the things that we want. We're collectively going through something together, which is this ridiculousness of inflation. We shouldn't ignore that. I think we shouldn't be okay with paying so much for things. We shouldn't be okay with, um, you know, this cost of living, this rising. It's really wrong. It's really ridiculous. And we are a generation that are really going through it, even though they were going through it then. Um, what Look what they were doing about it. And I feel that we need to, you know, really do something about it a bit more than we are um, individually because we're actually all just sitting around waiting for someone to tell us, you know, when to do it, how to do it, why we should do it. And one thing we see in this film is that, you know, these women get together and they say, we're not going to take this. You know, if it means that we've got to arm up ourselves, if it means we've got to go travel across the world to learn from what other people are doing, if it means that we need to, um, you know, just stop, stop going to work, you know, this thing of, you know, re... re I, I often imagine going, like, you know, part of... If we all stopped work, if we all just stopped, like, stopped everything, you know, like, they have these things for us now that's keeping us all distracted and, you know, looking down the rabbit hole and ignoring the reality of what's really happening. And, you know, I think that if we really stopped everything, stopped getting up, stopped going to work, pulled our money out of the bank, um, you know, just doing those radical things that don't require being violent, that don't require, you know, doing things that maybe we're too shy to do. But, you know, together, if we all do that, we will dismantle this, you know, this system, this thing that's collectively holding us back um and all this stuff so yeah i think that we you know could really learn a lot from that film uh and how you know the the boldness um that that we that women had to like get up and and just not take it anymore um yeah and if we could really you know reconstruct and deconstruct one of those things is to just to pull out, you know, stop, stop making the wheel turn. And it's scary to say because look what happens when you do that. They get the FBI on you. They get the, you know, the government officials. And we are, we've been feared. We've been taught to fear that. We're, we're worried that, you know, we won't get our Centrelink pay if we don't do something. Why are we worried for, you know? Why, you know, if you know how to do something, you know how to do something. Let's do it collectively together. But do we really have the... um and it's not a it's not a, a weakness or anything like that. But you know, when 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 are we going to to do that? When are we really going to stop and really not going to take it? How about how about you, Prince? What would you reimagine about this film if it was set today? Um, I guess it's something that um, I believe when Sharika introduced the film, touched on a real binary, um, yeah, a, a binary way of of. Um, of being or seeing, I guess as a trans person, um, the trans person who was also socialised as a female, so I have experiences um, that resonates with me deeply um, when I watch the film, but also there's trans voices missing um, in the film as well. So it would be great to also hear more conversations, um, you know, specifically centred uh, around trans women of colour, um, sister girls, uh, and also... Um, yeah, more non-binary voices as well. Um, and perhaps, you know, something that came up for me was like perhaps more conversations around healthy ways of doing masculinity. I mean, everything in the film was so incredibly profound in the way that it was discussed and spoken about and from different experiences and dimensions. 
it would also be quite incredible to hear not to not to still decenter masculinity or men but to have conversations around how healthy masculinity can be part of a conversation as well Elia, how about you? I was definitely having a little bit of think, um, like Queen and Prince touched on some really beautiful points about um, more diverse voices, about just really being radical and being, you know, trying to have the space for those kind of radical conversations and just really kind of checking out of the system. I think I would love to see some kind of idea around creating a culture, um, because my, my feminism, my activism is rooted within a very cultural space. Um, and I think that's something that we are severely lacking in the world right now is this idea of creating space that is connecting to something much older than us and creating something that will lead us into the future. And within this film, there isn't any Indigenous voices represented. There was one line and even that was technically a slur. Um, so I would love to incorporate that in that particular film, but I would also love to see time where people create spaces for joy, um, especially in radical movements. We are always being on the receiving end and feeding into systems that will always kind of keep us on this one track mind. And then, you know, it's not necessarily, for me, I don't think it's necessarily sustainable because I've seen what it has done to you know, people who were living now who were part of those movements at that time and how they feel like they've lost a community because, you know, they've lived longer or they haven't created time or space to sort of indoctrinate younger people into that. Um, so I would really love to have like a little bit of a cultural moments of joy. Yeah, word. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, just what you bringing that up but also just looking at the time and what was accepted as normal I always find interesting when you watch things that take place you know 30 years ago in the 80s and and you just see what you know what's normally accepted like you know pe people are openly talking about you know even that the thing about women being harassed and you know what they I love that I love that the had the you know the the, I like the women on the bikes going around blowing whistles and being disruptive and, and things like that. And I think that, um, you know, we could see more of that in, in our today's time. But, yeah, but, yeah, things like that. I think, yeah, the timing of what, you know, was once – not, not to say that it is normal, but it's just really interesting, like, how things, like, shock us when we see it. And it's, we go, oh, that's – you know, we don't have to look – but why, why is that, you know? Because people had to go through these times of, um, you know – normalizing things that are completely unacceptable i want to talk about uh, modes of disruption uh in this next bit of the chat and talk briefly about the power of radio in this film it's a space that becomes a site of tension and resistance it's about amplifying voices as much as it is listening to voices and sharing sharing them the context we exist in now is so saturated with information and yet these ideas of radio still resonate. I mean, we have radio people in the room, we have radio people on this panel right now, especially for marginalized communities. Uh, Queen, we'll go back to you. How have you experienced radio as a tool to cut through all the noise that we have to process? Um, radio really saved my life, I think. Radio is something that made me see the power in in our voices as individual 
as, as individuals and yeah in this inf- age of too much information you know we should really go back to getting going to our source you know who are we listening to who who are our narrators and i think it's important you know for everyone here who is making media uh, that you are the people that we go to for what we need to know for information uh, because you're the ones that, that you know are dedicating yourself it's something that i think you know a lot of us who do radio have in common we have this passion um and this want to tell stories depending on why you're in in this for sh- for your own reasons but for me one thing that i love about making media and that's why i enjoy passing it on and and training people to do it because it really is that our one place um where we can you know amplify the message amplify the story tell people what's happening give people the information uh you know i really love how radio has always been that and i think yeah with this we have too much going on it's really too much it's too much channels it's too much you know even podcasting it's great that there's this podcast but how do we focus on on the message how do we focus on the issue things are moving too quickly you know we're having one major issue and it's full trauma based stuff and then we quickly move on to the next thing and we haven't even dealt with that um and i think yeah at some what i would really love to see is that we go back to you know lesser sources of information and and trust in our broadcasters our public broadcasters who have been placed there to send out those messages um and that be our our place to call for because you know um it's really the media makers who are the movers the shakers and narrators of you know of all the discourse of all the things that are happening whether even if it's music um you know I've, i'm a hip-hop artist as well i write music but it was from doing radio i did that first you know i was producing radio more more first than i was actually producing music but when i realized that oh i can play my friends you know i can they're not being played we're complaining oh how do you get onto the mainstream forget about the mainstream you know i've got a radio show here, I've got some friends, I know some really talented people who have some really good music, I'll put them on. You know, and I think that's what's really powerful about places like FBI Radio and all the different community radio stations that are around is that they're the ones that we should be, you know, getting our source from, our information, our heard. Like, talk to people, people who have radio shows, go out and talk to people, see what people are doing. Because there is so much happening out there in, within the community, but I also feel that a lot of it is not being amplified through the radio airways because we're in the digital space too much. And Aliyah, you come from a, a lineage of broadcasters. How's, how's the experience of radio for you? Yeah, radio is... It's kind of really lovely. I mean, I like to say that I come from a long line of storytellers. I mean, story is so important in the indigenous culture. It's our dreaming. It's our jokura. It tells us, you know, where we come from and how we were formed and what our role is in this world. And I think we've all taken that sort of sense within my family to the places of media where we sort of distribute that same story. We know that our story is our duty to the community and it's the idea of creating space and creating legacy um, that will continue on even long bef- long after us. I mean, how many times have we, like, I mean, this film is it within itself is a, a testament to how story is everlasting and internal. So I think that's something really lovely about that and... Um, you know, given that I come from a long line of that, I like the idea that maybe I could create something that maybe will touch upon you. I mean, this right now is 
doing exactly that. I may say something that resonates with you or you may like something that I might say and you will maybe have a conversation of that amongst your friends and it's that idea of, um, you know, again, you're doing the exact same thing that I've been taught by my ancestors. It's that idea of everlasting story. So my story will now become a part of your story and hopefully, you know, we can come back together in another time or something like that, but yeah. Beautiful. The sense of urgency and activism in this film is so potent. It's so clear what is at stake. Uh, Prince, I want to turn to you and talk about the work you do as both a primary school teacher and artist. How do we begin to expand our idea of what that activist frontline is? Um, I'll probably speak more in the lineage of teaching because it feels like a bit more of a potent example. But yeah, I, I wrote here that teachers... Um, teachers are frontline actors negotiating the social issues of our time. So we could either be teachers who use it as a tool of disempowerment or we can be a teacher that subverts that in many ways. It's really difficult to operate as a teacher within these structures of racism, white supremacy, classism, capitalism, all those isms. Um, and all those phobias. What I have learned, I guess, as a teacher is you can't do it alone, definitely. So you need to find your people. If there's any teachers out there, hit me up. Um, I would love to have conversations. But what I've also learned is that I can close the classroom door and we can engage in truth-telling. We can engage in spaces of camaraderie we can perhaps subvert those systems in ways where it's not disciplinary it's not punitive um, but instead we actively listen one of my um, fundamental things within one of my fundamental rules within teaching um, I don't have that many rules we have perimeters or we have ways of being together but one of my fundamental rules is no one could ever interfere with anyone else's learning and because it's such an incredible rule to unpack and f you know w w I begin with that but then we unpack it and the unpacking starts with how do we create cultural safety how do we create safety why do we not disrupt other people's learning we talk about consent we talk about bullying. We talk about the ways that we hold space for one another. Uh, probably not hold space. I, as a teacher, will hold space. And I think holding space means facil facilitation and mediation. And I think that's my role as a teacher. But how do we listen to one another? And how do we engage in ways where we can do conflict well? Um, conflict is going to come up again and again. And as a teacher, you see it. I am teaching kindergarten class at the moment. And I can tell you, conflict is every fucking minute. Like, it's like, Brian didn't let me, you know, Brian kicked the seat and, and now I'm like, just like every, there's a conflict every moment. So it's how do we do conflicts well? Um, I have a lot more to say, but I've just gone a little bit blank. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at at the moment. I'll continue. Let's continue. <laughs> yes. Snaps. 
uh, a lot of the work that you all do is is an extension of that, uh, an extension of um, facilitating a place where people's learning are not interfered with, um, and it's bringing complex ideas and skills to different communities. It's all well and good to talk about these complex ideas in spaces like this right now. How have you all made sure that no one is left behind in your respective communities? And Queen, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, I really just love what everything you were just saying, Prince, about um, education because, you know, we're, we're very blessed that we are in a generation where there's actually some decent um, educators out there and I think they've always been. I think it's sad that we've had, uh, you know, a time or maybe still have times where we look at teachers in a negative way and we shouldn't do that because we really spend most of our lives um, with these people. So it's really refreshing that, you know, to hear your approach um, to teaching and because, you know, we have children that we're raising that we, you know, are being put in these, in these systems um, and we can't completely shut them off, right? We can't completely destroy them, but, you know, how do we go inside and, and change them and fix them? And I think that's probably why, you know, when it comes to this thing of activism and why we do what we do because we, you know, we've gone through things. I'm someone who's self-education. I've taught myself a lot of things um, from scratch. And that's why I appreciate um, the idea of training, the idea of educating, because I still feel that we need to learn and have our mentors and have our elders and people that who have been through the thing that we're trying to get through and experienced it to, to tell that. So even though I had a different um, experience with education where it wasn't so positive for me, I didn't throw that aside. I, I you know, went, okay, I'm going from the inside to to um, change it, to fix it and um, and do something about that. But, you know, it, it's not easy to bring everyone along. Everyone has their journey. Everyone has their path. And, you know, it's, it's why we're not here to change. You can't change people. You can't fix people. People are going to be who they are. They've come from their own journey. They've got their own... Uh, path, uh, you know, that's brought them to this day. So maybe when we've met them in this in the, in their time now, they're not the, the greatest person to deal with or greatest person to get along with. But it doesn't mean that, you know, my ideas have to shift this thing. So I'm someone that I don't believe in we should change people's way of thinking. You know, I don't think that if someone doesn't believe in climate change that we should go and, and, and convince them to believe in it, you know, but what can we do about it? What can we do to contribute towards it? What can we do with our individual time and space while we're here on this planet? Um, and I think that's how we don't leave people behind is when we lead by example and take action in any way we can. And again, it's not everyone's job. I used to be really annoyed when, you know, in, my d in the decolonization journey you go through, you, you get to this point where you start going, you know, those people are not standing up and they're not joining us and, and, and I'd get really annoyed um, at one point where today I look back and I don't have an issue with that. I can sit in the same room with someone that I completely disagree with and have a, con a healthy conversation about it and get on with it and get through it. And maybe uh, that person has a little seed has dropped in them and I've also learned something. You know, it's a two-way thing. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, how do we bring everyone along with us? Um, I think it's what we leave behind. It's what it's the the what we leave on the path. You know, the little memory, the message, the the time. And that's why art is so beautiful. Art is timeless. This film is timeless. There's a lot of things in this film that, I, you know, as I said earlier, we're still going through today. But every song that's been made, every picture that's been painted, it doesn't matter when we see it. It's still seen. The fact that you brought this into 2023 is also a very significant. Um, thing to do because we 
who are sitting here for the first time watching it get to experience that as if it was today, as if it was made yesterday. Like to us, it's still the first time. Um, so yeah, art and everything that we, yeah, the art is timeless and the music and the stories and the songs is always going to be here. Um, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, how about you in the way that you tell stories through your work at Radio Skid Row, but also beyond that, how do you ensure that, that no one's left behind? Um, I think there is something to first acknowledge, you know, what, what is the thing that is holding us back? What is the thing that is, um, sort of keeping us separate and disconnected? And I think naming that is so powerful. I mean, everything that we do is because of colonialization and oppression and how those intergenerational traumas affect not just, you know, the people who are oppressed, but the people who are benefiting off that. And, you know, I think once you start viewing that and, you know, my little theory is that, um, you know, whiteness is inherently about categorizing people and keeping them separate because of that. But, from a very cultural lens, um, you know, it is about you may be different, but how do we connect? And that idea of connection and, you know, you may be from a different place, you know, I might be salt water, you might be fresh water, um, but there is a time and space for us to have those deep conversations and, you know, we used to call it bungles, but now right now we are kind of doing that we are creating spaces where so many different voices um, can come together and you know create ceremony like this we can have really in-depth conversations we can make art we can tell stories and that to me that's really important because everything starts off with hi hello you know i want to see you as a human first and that idea of connection is sort of what i take on to you know all my projects yeah, I mean, this, everyone claps. Um, this, uh, you know, we speak about this idea of, um, you know, what we do, having not leaving people behind, but in many spaces, like the space that you talk about earlier, it's us who gets left behind. What does it mean to, you know, forge a new story and you are literally rewriting narratives in the work that you do so that there's no one left behind in any regard? I have one more prompt before we wrap up uh, our talk today and I want to speak and stay with with these ideas of the everyday and touch on the mundane and tender moments that are collaged throughout Born in Flames um, as events throughout the film. You know, there's conversations in in fire uh, staircases, a cigarette shared over a windowsill, there's, um, you know, chicken being packaged in a factory. There's a penis being put a condom on. Like, that's so mundane. Um, what other ways you think about resistance not as an event, you know, not as blowing up the World Trade Center, but what are ways you think of resistance as an everyday embodied practice? And, and Prince, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, um, my world and my art practice and my teaching everything is in the spiritual um it's a spiritual practice also embodiment is the root to my practice my everyday so silence is a big thing for me um stillness is a huge practice for me as well and in that stillness there's stillness is movement but movement is stillness so i could be flowing I could be flowing, but I'm actually quite still within, or I could be sitting still and 
I could be observing the movement in my body. So that means the movement of thought, the movement of blood flow, the movement of pain bodies. Um, so for me, embodiment, uh, to be embodied means to be able to practice spirituality in the true sense of the word as well. Um, and also um, walking is also a huge practice of mine and in walking is an embodiment, is understanding through walking, through embodiment, is also being able to understand place and understand self. Understand self and a process of self-actualization makes me a better teacher and educator and person in the world. Thank you, Prince. Queen, how about you? How do you approach this idea of everyday acts of resistance? Um, the thing that I'm, I've got repeated in my head is um, my existence is resistance. My existence is a vision, my existence. How can I social distance my existence? My existence, my existence is continuously, consistently the victim. My existence in this system criminal, criminally conflicted my existence. Depicted in narratives as savages, my existence transcribed my existence. We must carry the light. Um, that's something that I've, it's a royal rhyme. <laughs> and yeah, because that's, you know, that's what it is. Um, you know, writing, leaving, leaving these, you know, messages um, behind to understand, you know, what, what what is going on in the now in the here in where we are we can't fix the problems like you said you know we can't answer the question with blow up the world trade and you know blow blow stuff up i wish you know that, that's a great solution but it does nothing but i think um remembering those who have come before remembering what has uh, already been trialed uh to make the changes um and also just to yeah how we manage our daily when we get up every day just to give thanks um and to look to look at those who you know are going through it who are it's still happening you know there's um you know there's women in in iran in afghanistan in you know everywhere around the world that that born in flames days is still happening today like they're still in that time where they can't you know do a lot of things that we can do so um yeah i think just remembering that you know what little time that we have here you know and how we spend it and cherish it and you know not to worry about these you know these everyday systems and these things that pressure us that we have to have the latest this and we have to do all these things and if we don't we're missing something um and going back to culture you know ancestry ancestors um you know there's yeah there's a lot of spirits and guides who are within our reach every day but we just have to you know reach out and see it so the light the flames the fire uh it's been a lot of that happening you know i was actually gonna say the exact same thing as you that's why i did the love i feel seen um because my existence is literal resistance i mean if my ancestors didn't fight for everything that they have i wouldn't physically be here i would be extinct so i think that's something that is so powerful is like remembering that each and every one of you uh was born out of the blood the sweat the tears the love the happiness the joy everything that was your ancestors is you now and you have that opportunity to 
remember that, you know, take moments to be still within your source to then create that and maybe create that spark that will, you know, cause little little fires, little embers, you know. <laughs> um, and being able to really give that on to somebody else, I think that's really, really powerful. And also, like, shout out to my friend Louie, who I love so dearly. Um, being a silly goose. <laughs> um, I think, you know, that idea of when a world is so sad sometimes and you're constantly being fed, uh, you know, really kind of traumatic stuff we get desensitized to that you know we think that's the normal I mean it is the normal but it shouldn't be the normal and so taking time to remember your joy and your happiness that is such an act of resistance you are allowed to be happy you are allowed to dream you're allowed to be so much more so do that be happy be joyful express everything that you want reach for all the things that you intend to do so yeah Let's wrap it up there because what a beautiful sentiment to end uh, today on. Can you please give one more round of applause to our speakers? Queen G, Aaliyah J. Bradbury and Prince. A few other thank yous. Thank you to Lizzie Borden herself uh, and Cinema Nova in London for making this screening possible. Uh, Queen and Viv uh, and the Red Rattler for inviting us. As you would know, Race Matters is run by volunteers. Uh, so shout out to Samantha, Tim, Ice, Jessica, Tubes. <laughs> special, special shout out to Alicia Zhao for the incredible artwork that you've seen throughout uh, this whole program. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, Lachlan on tech and Ross for filming. Judy from Love and Peace Catering. Thank you for the amazing nourishing food. That was so yummy. Uh, Sammy, Professor, and Yaf for setting up the space. Uh, Tanya Ali for the music um, before and during. And thank you all so much for coming. Uh, it's been a huge dream of ours to do a program and a film screen like this, and it only makes sense when it's shared with other people. So thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Um, <laughs> um, so as some of you <laughs> might know, this is Darren's last show with Race Matters. Um, maybe you came here because you're familiar with what the Red Rat does and you know they throw some pretty great events. Um, so just a bit of context, um, Darren alongside Tanya Ali, Sarah Khan, Georgia and Ryan started Race Matters as an intervention into the kind of colonial and white supremacist bullshit that does happen even in an independent and, you know, somewhat underground kind of media source. And I think there is something really admirable about being able to see someone like Darren seamlessly hold a conversation with such potency and care and intrigue. But I also want to kind of honour that it's such an important labour that I feel like is so rare. You know, we have people stepping down from mainstream institutions still traumatised from the effects of racism. So to be able to hold a space that is anti-racist, that is queer, that is visionary, um, and to share that with such incredible speakers and with you all, um, I think this is such a beautiful way 
<laughs> to finish off five years um, of your tenure of this show. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> come to light. Um, very fitting that I just came into the light because what I was about to say was um, when I applied to be the producer of Race Matters, I was really happy to like be putting anti-racist values into research um, and just like was really interested in processes of radio and we've seen, you know, the impact of that in a film like Born in Flames. And for kind of unexpected um, reasons, I stepped onto the mic when I thought I didn't have a voice. And so much of me finding my voice is because of you. Um, and yeah, like people like Tanya and so many people here that I'm so sorry, I don't have time to name and like, I'm obviously breaking down. Uh, um, radio has saved my life and like, it's because of the friendships that I've been able to forge since moving back to this city. Um, so thank you. And I think having a team to kind of have those intergenerational and like ongoing and everlasting stories that manifest, you know, what we do in the studio into something far beyond that space. Um, yeah, I think is just such a testament to all the labor and care that you've put into this. And yeah, I think let's just like give Darren one huge round of applause for being able to do that. And we have something for you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, the wonderful Tim who's like kind of stepped into like this next generation of what Race Matters is and you know it's really significant that five years on just because our incredible hosts have moved on doesn't mean that this platform will dissolve. And yeah, I'm just really honored that I get to be part of taking care of um, the like the process Race of putting matters. Race, matters. Race 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 matters.